No one understands the flesh. No one does. <laughs> Welcome to Beyond the Screams. I am your host, Steph, and with me are my usual co-hosts, Holly and Patrick. Hello. Hello. We are going to discuss the 1986 body horror cult classic, The Fly. Directed and co-written by David Cronenberg, The Fly stars Jeff Goldblum as Seth Brundle slash Brundlefly, Gina Davis as Veronica, <laughs> Ronnie Quaif. <laughs> yeah, that last name. <laughs> <laughs> These names, because John gets as Stathis Borens? Right, that is um, you know a what? hard, hard Stath- name to Stathis? say. I think it's, I think. You know, fuck it, Canadians. That's what I have to say. I think it's Canadians. <laughs> just, the whole time I was like, I was like, Stathis? Yeah, oh my God. I, know, really? I, I just kept thinking like stasis. I'm like, no, this is, no, get your mind out of that. I'm like, oh. The Fly was released August 15th, 1986. It had a budget of about $15 million and brought in $60 million in the box office. Hey, hey. Loosely based on George Langelan's 1957 short story of the same name, The Fly tells the story of a brilliant but eccentric scientist who begins to transform into a giant man-fly hybrid after one of his experiments goes horribly wrong. Dun-dun-dun. They had Robert Bierman originally slated to direct this because David Cronenberg was working on the 1990 movie, which obviously got canned in 1984 whenever they were talking about this, Total Recall, which would have been a fucking ride to see him direct Total Recall. <laughs> I would have yeah. loved it. Oh, snap. So they couldn't get him because con- contractually he was tied to that movie. So they went with Robert Bierman and they were pretty set to go with him, but his daughter died during pre-production of the film. So he left to go be with her. He was contracted to make the movie, but Mel Brooks, the main producer of the movie, gave him three months to kind of think about it, and then he decided he couldn't really bring everything to the table for the movie because of his daughter's death, so he he backed out, and Mel Brooks said, okay, that's fine. During this time, Total Recall fell apart, which made David Cronenberg available. David Cronenberg, he was like, I need $750,000 to make this movie, and they countered him with a million dollars, so they gave him a million dollars to film this in 1986, which is probably quite a bit of money. Yeah. <laughs> or were they were they like, oh, you want $750 million US? We'll give you a million Canadian. <laughs> That's what, $2? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I was just reading through, you know, just quick facts about this, and yeah, I saw that Tim Burton was in talks to Gerard this wow that would have been an interesting movie like i'm thinking of like you know how beetlejuice beetlejuice came out in 88 so you know it's got that very stop motiony kind of thing with some of his special effects Mm -hmm. this would have been a totally different movie i'm not opposed to seeing that but i think his version wouldn't have been as horrific and gory and graphic as this is I would have had fun watching that, but this, I think, if that would have happened, this is the better movie, I think. I would be curious to see because uh, the original script of this movie, every studio pretty much hated it. They hated everything about the the script, the movie in general, and it wasn't until Mel Brooks saw, like, he was like, I hate the script too, but, you know, if we get a right director and do some rewrites, 
Cronenberg came on and obviously he just kind of took the already script and changed about 80% of it. Yeah, I heard I heard that Cronenberg was like, I'll do the movie if I can rewrite the entire script. No, no, I think it was they were always planning to rewrite the script because the original script, it differs very much from the finished product. There are some key aspects like some of the body horror is still there and they still have that same idea that same kind of like Cronenberg body mutation fucked up transformation which I think also drew him into the script. I think there was always plans to rewrite it because it wasn't really... what The other writer, um, he was only given a writing credit because Cronenberg insisted that he got one because he used parts of his original script, which he really didn't even use that much. I'm kind of curious to see how Tim Burton would have rewritten the script. I imagine it being more comical like Beetlejuice for some reason. Yeah, I think it would have... Um, seemed much more like the original, especially seeing like Mars Attacks yeah. and like that kind of camp in sci-fi. Like this would have been, it, it would have been more comical for sure. Yeah, and we, oh, we yeah. probably we probably would have had Johnny Depp play <laughs> Seth <laughs> Rundle. <laughs> so. Not yet, not quite yet. <laughs> okay, <Almost> you're, right. <laughs> you're right. Alec Baldwin would have played Seth <laughs> yeah. Rundle. <laughs> yes, it was interesting that Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis star in this movie, and they were actually dating at the time. Yeah, which I found so funny because Gina Davis was the first person to audition for this movie and everyone just loved her, but they still auditioned other people. And then Cronenberg also almost was against the idea of having Gina Davis because of her relationship with baby Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. It's just great that they had that chemistry on set already. And I, I remember I watched an interview with David Cronenberg and he commented how they worked well because... Jeff is like 6'5", and Gina is a beautiful 6'1", so having someone dramatically shorter oh. than Jeff would have been weird. Wow. Gina Davis is 6'1", and Jeff Goldblum yeah. is 6'5"? She is a queen, yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, I love... I, that's one of my big crushes from back in the day was Gina Davis. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm a huge Beetlejuice fan. And A League of Their Own was I also loved. Oh, so. God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I was watching an interview with... Uh, Jeff Goldblum, and he was talking about during the filming of this, he would just drink so much coffee to get these erratic behaviors of the fly. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking like, it's 1985 when they're filming this? <laughs> like, that coffee, sure, Jeff, coffee. <laughs> yeah, let me put my creamer in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I'm watching an interview of him in like 1987 talking about this movie, and his eyes are like darting left and right so quick. I'm like, Coffee, huh, Jeff? Coffee. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine anybody else in the role of Seth Brundle because Jeff Goldblum acted so erratic, just like a fly. And with all that prosthetic makeup on, too, every scene, it was like more and more. His acting erratic, like, definitely made me believe, like, in the actual fly transformation. But just him as Seth Brundle, the way he speaks and delivers his lines, it was the perfect chaotic scientist because like I, that's kind of how he thinks already. It's just like he's like got three thoughts in his head and this one comes out and then this one comes out and then, you know, the second mm-hmm. one comes out. So it's like it was like a good fit for that character, I felt. Yeah. yeah. Let's jump into the movie. So the movie opens with a wonderful cocktail party full of scientists, like an adult science fair, and we immediately meet Seth Brundle, who's talking to Ronnie and telling Ronnie about a new invention that will change the world. She's kind of not interested 
And he's like, well, I can't tell you about this because we're, you know, everyone's going to be eavesdropping. Let me take you to my lab. She's like, sure, this is not weird. Let's go to your lab. Okay, come on. Stranger danger, Ronnie. Yeah, Yeah, how does this line work? (laughs) Especially where they drive up to. Like, as soon as they drive up, I'm like, why do you not, why are you not like pulling mace out of your purse already? Right? Oh, I live in an old meatpacking plant. (laughs) Great. (laughs) I mean, this movie does not waste any time. Immediately cuts into Seth Brundle, the scientist, goes straight to his lab, which is like a loft. And Jeff Goldblum is like, come into my lab and let me twinkle the keys on this piano. I love Five minutes into the movie. First, I'm going to say one thing. Like, Seth doesn't know she is a journalist at this point. Okay, so I totally disagree with that because literally, as Seth is like, Hey, come to my lab. She's like, I have three more interviews to do. Yeah, but he's a scientist and his mind's going in 10 different directions. He didn't notice. He's just trying. His his main goal is to get her back to his lab. I also have an issue with that because I'm like, he doesn't, he's not ready to tell the world about it. That's why he's like, let me secretly just bring you to my lab. So he's. I can see where you're coming from on this though. Yeah. I like, can. The, like, like what I'm getting to is. This eventually turns into like a romance super, super quick. And there wasn't much like foreplay. It was like, hey, we're talking. Come to my lab. Twinkle the keys. I got to kill you because you saw this. And now we're in a romance. But I will say this, though. If I entered a lab and Jeff Goldblum's sitting there playing piano, I mean, I would have been naked in like seconds. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to throw that out there. (laughs) Yeah, I love how he like play the piano while making a murder joke. (laughs) <laughs> I wish, I wish I could do this. It took me seven years to get to this point with Katina where I can start making these jokes. <laughs> so Seth brings Ronnie to the lab to show him his telepods because on the way to the lab, we learn that Seth gets car sickness. So he has like overall motion sickness. He hates traveling in devices. So he's like, I'm going to create teleporting devices. Which is pretty fucking cool. Yeah, I mean, I know that with Chicago winters, there are days where I'm like, God, I just, I don't want to have to walk to my car or walk to the train station. I just want to teleport home because I can't feel my body. (laughs) (laughs) I used to travel to Chicago quite a bit. It is the one city that without fail, I would get delayed in because of (laughs) fucking weather (laughs) without fail. And I'd sit at Bubbles and I'd drink some champagne as someone play piano. <laughs> That's what I would do. You, you were just hoping that Jeff Goldblum would yeah. show up. Yeah. <laughs> so Seth is like, let me show you how these telepods work. And he asks Ronnie for a piece of her clothing. Now, Ronnie is clearly thirsty and looking to bone because instead of being like here's my shoe or here's a pen in my purse she's like oh let me unclip my stocking and take it off i mean did you see the suit jeff was wearing (sighs) (laughs) come on skinny tie he's got the gray kind of carpet looking jacket (laughs) that suit that you would see every day because he has 50 of them yep Seth is showing Ronnie his teleportation devices. <laughs> Stocking goes in. Cue tech sequence, computing sounds, and loud zapping. Surprise, the whoa, whoa, stocking. Whoa, whoa. You forgot 
he has to whisper sweet nothings into the computer oh. to get it to do anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she's like, oh, congratulations. You made the world's like biggest microwave. And he's like, uh-uh, it's your stocking. Oh, my God. She's feeling it. She obviously likes really technical, geeky guys. Yeah, I mean, she's a writer for the science tech magazine. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Particle Magazine, is that like... Like an atom particle, or is it like, I mean, who knows? I don't know. That's what I was thinking of. In the 80s and 90s, there was magazines for fucking everything, so. (laughs) So he begins making her an espresso, and she's like, holy shit, this is real. I gotta, like, hit record on my tape recorder. And he finds out, because apparently her tape can only record for, like, 30 seconds before it needs to be (laughs) flipped over. (laughs) I have, so I have a tape recorder uh, old Panasonic tape recorder from the 80s, and it has mini tapes, not even full-size mini tapes. And I get about three minutes per side, so what's going on with that? <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, whoa, you're a journalist? And she's like, yeah, dude, I literally told you. <laughs> and then Seth goes in to explain, like, well, I'm not ready. And before this, he kind of explained, like, how he's doing this. He's financed by a science company and he farms out a lot of the stuff he needs nobody really knows what he's working on because he's not that expensive and he's going to come up with something really great and the science company is going to be able to own it and make a bajillion dollars yeah you know his explanation of like yeah they just leave me alone and you know don't bother me and give me the funding i'm like man i should have been a scientist (laughs) there are so many cool things that i could have tried but no, my brain has failed me in that area. Because, yeah, like, as long as you're, like, somewhat under budget, they'll leave you alone, right? As long as you uh-huh. manage that budget and you're not, you know, bloating it or you're just keeping it right under what they promised you, then you're solid. Yep. I mean, we learn in the next scene that Seth is, like, a kid genius. So he's got a resume of being brilliant, which is what probably why the science company was like yeah you do whatever you want to do which i loved uh right before that he says much more brilliant minds you know do the hard work i'm just a systems management engineer pretty much which kind of downplays his actual genius because he made a fucking teleportation device so he's obviously a a genius but it's very modest yeah, but I'm sure that makes him attractive to Ronnie as well. That whole, oh, I'm very humble. Like, eh, you know, there are people smarter than me. Yeah, Seth is playing this whole like, oh, I'm just like chill. I don't, you know, I'm just here doing my thing. Ain't no big deal. Um, But I just want to talk about it, but I'm not ready to share it. So he pleads with Ronnie to get the tape from her. And she's like, I'm a journalist. LOL. No. So she leaves. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what she actually did. Yeah. Yep. She just literally opened the front door and was like, well, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. So the next scene, Veronica goes to her editor, Stathis Borens, and plays a tape for him. And she's like, isn't this wild? He's like, I don't believe her. And Seth shows up to the office. To well, try to actually, get- he says, that's just an old club trick. You know, two <sighs> cabinets. Like, who the fuck did this to get laid? <laughs> Lance Burton, the magician? I mean... <laughs> As soon as he said that, I was like, all right, sorry, your dick is small. Like, (laughs) (laughs) exactly, because who would do that just to be like, hey, come have some fun in my bed? I hated him so much in this movie. Me too. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Stathis was a full-fledged creep. Yeah. Hands down. Yeah. So Stathis is like, doesn't believe her. But she's like, no, this is like something. This could be something. And Seth shows up at her office to try to get their recording back. And Seth is like, one word, cheeseburgers. So they go to like the local McDonald's. They get burgers. That was like a fucking Whataburger. It looked looked like trash. (laughs) Sorry for all all the Texas listeners out there. Ooh, those are fighting (laughs) words, Patrick. (laughs) West Coast in and out every day. So they're eating... And Seth is like, hey, instead of writing an article, how about you come and like video record me and you could write a book on this because he's like, I'm actually lonely and you're really cute and I want to like get into your pants. And she's like, yeah, I'm on that same level. Let's do this. So I'm going to I'm going to ask the two ladies here. uh, (laughs) If this ever happened to you, you just met someone and in 24 hours, they asked you to spend every waking minute filming them would you do it no 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 No? taking into account where he lives and just yeah not knowing him no man no it's so weird because as a dude i would have done it (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's a great opportunity and everything and I'm I'm like where where is your stranger danger antenna? Yeah, yes. it doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, I mean I love me like all the smart geeky guys, especially if you can like twinkle the piano keys and you can make jokes about murder. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna definitely make out for sure. <laughs> but I wouldn't be like, let me drop everything and then have a codependent relationship with you. I guess that's where we differ, guys. I guess that's where we differ. <laughs> If anything, it was more Seth was more codependent on Ronnie than yeah. Ronnie yes. on Seth. Yeah, that is true. Before Ron, you know, Ronnie like jumps into this with Seth. She is like, I don't know. Let me think about it. But in her mind, she's like, J.K. Of course, I'm going to do that. <laughs> she goes home and hears somebody in her shower, and it's creepy stathis who's like oh i was in the neighborhood and i felt gross so i came to your apartment to shower even though like we're you know we broke up so we learned that they dated he's a creep he's a little bit oh he's little for sure yeah (laughs) and he's like a stalker that whole interaction was just him pulling a power trip on her and it was so frustrating I don't know. His character is so frustrating because it's very transparent. It's very, ooh, mm-hmm. we used to date. I'm jealous. I'm going to come over here and, you know, show you what you're missing out on. And it's, I like that her character isn't ever once, like, thrown off by it or, like, second guesses what she's doing or anything. She's just like, no, you're a creep. Like, get out of my place. The cringiest part of that whole scene to me is where she asks for his key and he's like, No. It's yeah. my key. I know yeah. you're not gonna I know you're not gonna change these locks. This is this is my key. It's like, ugh, come on, man. You're mm-hmm. just so trashy. Yeah. I even think that's like gave her more reason to go spend time with Seth because here's somebody who's the opposite. Absolutely. Yeah. And also then how safe is she really? And either she doesn't know how safe she's going to be with Seth, but staying at home, she's not safe. He can come in whenever she, whenever he wants if she doesn't change the locks. I think you need to reevaluate your life when you feel more safe with a stranger at a meatpacking facility than you do in your own home. 
there's something wrong. There's something wrong there. <laughs> so Ronnie's at Seth, got a video camera. She's watching him do his thing. He tries to teleport a monkey, but it fails miserably. And in good old Cronenberg fashion, we see the monkey has been teleported with its insides on the outside. So this is one of the parts of the original script that was not taken out. Oh, so wow. So Cronenberg didn't really? add this in. That's what made Cronenberg like, oh, I already love this. I mean, I'm sure he, <laughs> tw- I'm sure he tweaked a few things, but yeah, this was already in the original script. Which I found so interesting. There's actually a few Cronenberg that we call Cronenberg things that were already in the script before he even touched it, which oh, was great. Cool. Which I guess why is they kind of looked at him too direct, but but man, this those animatronics were so fucking cool with this dead monkey. So Seth is super upset about the the monkey being turned inside out and says like, it can't deal with the flesh. I don't know enough about the flesh. I have to learn. Love it. So Ronnie's like, hey, Let's make some steak. I just brought some steak. Instead, they bang. Ronnie talks about wanting to eat him up like, ooh, old ladies pinching babies. And Seth has, you know, this gives Seth an idea about the flesh. This was strange scene. Out of all, everything in this movie, I found this to be one of the stranger like transitions to like the next plot point was her just like sucking on his nipples I mean, like i just want to be like an old woman i want to pinch your cheeks as i suck on your nipples it's which just was very strange yeah because the thing is like i didn't really believe their romance ronnie's character seemed to be one foot in one foot out but then she's like "Ooh, i want to like eat you up but i didn't believe it yeah i think the idea of that fails on Cronenberg and the writers and the there was never any time to see how much time has passed was yeah. that the next day of their relationship was that three months in their relationship we we don't know it just transitions so quickly that you just assume uh, this is the next day I guess but it could have been a month into it it could have been two months into it we we don't know you, you, you know what I mean yeah, like I believed Seth was like falling in love with Ronnie, but I didn't believe Ronnie was falling in love with Seth. I mean, they talk about going on a fucking vacation together and it's like, okay, so have you known each other for three days or three months? <laughs> what is this? Even if it was like, oh my God, I've only known you for three days. This is crazy. But I like, I'm in like madly in love with you and this is everything. Like, I still didn't believe it. Yeah, I, Patrick, I totally agree with what you said. Like, it's not like this is a weird transition. The theme though is important because it starts to transition into like the whole major theme of the movie but yeah it was just executed weirdly mm-hmm. and it it is very much like one of those scenes it's like okay well i can go to the bathroom now <laughs> it's, <laughs> so- it's, it's weird and it doesn't feel completely like everybody's there in it yeah and i i think that has to come to one of the major things Cronenberg changed from the original script to this was in the original script, Seth and Ronnie were married. And in this one, they're not. They met. So they need this love relationship for the movie to work. Right. Okay. They don't ever really build on it. They just tell you, oh, they're in love. Yeah, exa- cool, exactly. But like, I'm not going to hold it against you on that, but I would yeah. love to know a little more. You just kind of just force this c- character development between these two characters that we don't really know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in the original Fly starring my man, Vincent Price, that movie starts off with the Fly being killed 
And then the police kind of figuring out what happened and the wife who had to kill her husband kind of recounting the story. And that was a love story. Yeah. Like you could, in that movie, in the original, you could, they were married. She would do anything for her husband, even having to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that whole idea, they, they kind of wanted to keep, people call The Fly a remake and it's really not, in my eyes, a remake. It is just they're taking the same story and doing a different twist on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's nothing really relating to the original film at all. So it, it's hard to call it a remake in my eyes. But that idea of the love story is pretty much the fundamental part of both movies. And they just yeah. force they force it upon us in the, re- in the so-called remake. Yeah, because I think in the original, the wife was like a ride or die girl. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. what they kind of, they tried to portray here, but it wasn't like, I agree, it wasn't executed that well. Yeah, having them not in an established relationship and have them, have us seeing their meeting, things just, yeah, they seem to progress too quickly and very, yeah, just the, like we were talking about earlier, things just jump out. Like, this seems dangerous. Like, are you mm-hmm. sure you want to be doing this? And that becomes distracting to what should have been, like, seeing their relationship grow more. Yeah. Uh, so in my mind, I just rationalized that the time we're seeing is a lot longer than is being portrayed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's how I see it. I just wish I knew if that's what was actually going on. Like a weather change or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that just goes down to like, I was watching a interview with Cronenberg and he talked about how all these different movies he's made and how great he made these movies. And he talked about how he made one with like this amazing character development and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, you didn't bring that over to the fly. So he, they just already had characters and they just decided like, oh, we have these characters and you already kind of know about this movie. So. Mm-hmm. I thought Stathis' character was more developed than Roddy and Seth. (laughs) That's, damn it, you're right. (laughs) Well, yeah, because he actually had a character arc. Yeah, Mm -hmm. damn it. In my eyes, Seth, I think, is the most developed character, but his his development of a character is just full circle. It's him starting out as a good person and then coming back and finishing as that towards the at the end mm-hmm. where whatever his name status status <laughs> actually has like i'm a bad guy and i've now sacrificed limbs to be a good guy yeah 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 so it yeah. just stands out more true well before before all of that character development happens seth has an idea with the flesh, with the steak. So Seth cuts the steak in half, teleports one half of the raw steak, cooks both steaks, and forces Ronnie to do a taste test. She says that the one that's been teleported tastes like synthetic and it's gross. So Seth is like, okay, I need to teach the computer to go crazy for flesh, like old ladies pinching babies. I love that saying, like, I need to teach the computer to be crazy for the flesh. But also... Yeah. That fucking scares me. Imagine a computer going <laughs> right? crazy for flesh. Like- <laughs> I, know, I, know. I know, right? 
yeah, you're just like, I don't want to teach the computer that like, ooh, go crazy for this flesh because it was <laughs> got to go crazy for my flesh and it's going to attack me like chopping mall style. Yeah, but I love that because it's so, it's just true. Like how many, how many stories, movies have you heard about or witnessed where it's like robots don't have, technology does not have that capacity to understand mm-hmm. what it is to be human, what it is to have emotion and all these tactile sensations. And as, yeah, so that it just makes sense. It's a very smart way to get into what happens to him. Also, it brought this idea in my in my mind with just how we go crazy for the flesh and we go crazy for technology, how technology on the opposite would go crazy for the flesh because it's they don't have it and we mm-hmm. I, I just love that concept of it but it's still scary to me <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> still terrifying seth types a lot of stuff in his computer beep boop boop beep the way he types though let's just let's be honest one finger at a time even before he's a fucking fly dee, 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 dee. yep <laughs> come on man we're typing 60, 70 words a minute here. <laughs> Catch up. Yeah, if he can like twiggle the keys like ain't no thing, uh, homeboy should be able to type code like, I don't know, like 100 words per minute. I don't know if that's yeah. good. <laughs> but he's literally typing with his like two index fingers like my mom does on a computer. He does it fast, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's because all the sugar he's hopped up on. <laughs> Sugar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nineteen eighty sugar. <laughs> the Wall Street special is like what I like to call it. <laughs> okay, so they successfully teleport a monkey. Hooray! They pop some bubbly and they talk about a romantic vacation and they confirm their romance. So Ronnie sees a package on the piano. It's from Stathis from Particle Magazine, and it's a picture of Seth on the cover of a magazine with information about his telepods. That picture looked like he had the fucking TARDIS from Doctor Who behind him. (laughs) Well, yeah, because he made fashionable phone booths. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, he was, I think he was wearing the almost exact same outfit minus the bow tie as the 11th Doctor. (laughs) I have to go back and watch. Okay, I have to go back and watch. The 11th Doctor wears a bow tie, but I'm pretty sure he still wears that same jacket and like white shirt. Like, very similar. Okay, all right, I'll go back and watch that. <laughs> so Ronnie's like, oh, shit, I gotta, like, I gotta stop this. So she leaves to go stop Stathis from releasing the story and to scrape the residue of her of their relationship off her vibe. And Seth is just like, but I'm ordering spicy eggplant, WTF. Okay, she left that night knowing that she was going to get some spicy eggplant, probably some, some good fun time with, with Jeff there. And she's yeah, still spicy egg, spicy eggplant two ways. <laughs> yeah, I would have stayed for that. <laughs> yeah, I would have too. I'd be like, I could deal with this in the morning. <laughs> like, why did it have to be right then and there? But I guess later on we'll see like everything she does has to be right now. Right yeah. now. I was thinking about just how she is a very impulsive character because mm. at the beginning she's like Sure, I'll go with you to your house. Sure, I'll go in your creepy house. Sure, I'll get in a relationship with you. Sure, let's teleport a baboon. Like, I'm an impulsive person, but someone offers me some spicy eggplant and a night with Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) I'm closed off for the rest of the evening. I'm done. (laughs) 
Seth gets drunk because he's like, oh, she's leaving to like go do this thing. And like, oh, he pieces together like Stathis is her ex. Oh, no. So he's drinking and he's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to teleport myself. So he goes in. He's having a conversation with his baboon friend who's like not paying attention because the baboon is like, what is this fly? Get this fly out of here. Which that baboon was amazing at swatting a fly. Right? I would have been so scared. I have a huge irrational fear of monkeys. Oh, watching the interviews, they had said that because Jeff Goldblum is so tall, the baboons were more apt to like pay attention to him and, you know, kind of go by his demeanor and everything. So that's why the baboon is so like huggy with him because he kind of created a little bond with them. And because, you know, baboons are violent and everything so yeah because he's so tall and even though gina davis is extremely tall she's smaller than him so they would see her as somebody to attack because of jeff goldblum's relationship with her and everything and seeing how he treats everybody else they were more calm with people once again it just shows that jeff goldblum is he could be god i don't know maybe We don't know. We don't know. Nothing's been proven. <laughs> I'm actually going to paint a mural of him on my ceiling in my bedroom. <laughs> I don't know how Katina will feel, but it's going to be there. I mean, I'm sure if I was on set with Jeff Goldblum, I would just be super huggy with him, too. Oh, yeah. Yes. He'd probably call the cops on me. <laughs> so, you know who else loves Jeff Goldblum is a fly. Bum, bum, bum. Seth is in the telepod. A fly comes in. He doesn't see it. Beep, boop, 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 beep, boop, bop. Teleports him. He's like, I feel great. And a few hours later, Ronnie comes back. They make up. They start to make love. And we see some like fly hairs on Seth's back because earlier when they were having sex, he like rolled over onto a IC chip. Just had it in my bed. And thus, the transformation has begun. Yep. After that, he's just laying in bed and he decides to, like, fucking karate kid a fly and just catch it midair. <laughs> yeah, so he catches a fly mid-flight and then just gets up and then starts doing, like, gymnastics in his living room. He's training for his double pole situation in the Olympics. He started on his chair. just Doing, like, handstand push-ups yeah. and... And then moves over to one of the meat pipes in in the place he has, and he just starts <laughs> <The> rotating. <meat> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just assuming it's a meat packing plant at this point, and meat is moved through pipes. I'd I have no no idea how it works. I'm just assuming that. <laughs> and he's just rotating on this. Okay, rotating on a meat pipe sounds weird. So let's just go with industrial pipe at that point. That he's just like spinning around this industrial pipe, and. Starts walking on a ceiling like nobody's business. I've I've seen this movie several times, so that when I was watching it for this podcast, you know, I was I was drinking a little wine, and I came up with a really great joke. Okay, it's like a, a great dad joke. <laughs> so you know, he's doing like all his exercising, or you know, just discovering what his body is capable of now. And Ronnie's standing there just, like, watching him, and then she's get, she gets this look on her face like, yeah, yeah, come on, come on over there. 
come use some of these fly moves on me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks, Very proud Dad. Of that one. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Very proud of that. <laughs> but she, she was like, she was literally looking at him like, "Wow, wow, yeah. wow, okay." Oh yeah. <laughs> but also, Jeff was looking at himself like, "Wow, okay." <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wouldn't you? <laughs> Yeah, if I got up one in the middle of the night, I'm just like, huh. And Katina comes out, and I'm just doing handstands on my fucking chairs in my house and <laughs> swinging from the ceiling fan. Like, she'd be pretty impressed. <laughs> Cue to the next scene. Ronnie and Seth are, like, walking around town. And, like, the one scene where we see them having, like, a cute romantic situation, he, like, buys her a necklace. And I'm like, this is such an unnecessary scene because it's like, okay, this is, like, your one romance scene where you're like, oh, we're being cute and we're dating, so I'm going to buy her a necklace because he feels amazing about himself. Anyway, so they're in a coffee shop, and Seth is just rattling on and on about his work as he's scooping tablespoons of sugar in his coffee. And he says, You know, I just don't think I've ever given me a chance to be me, but... Of course, interestingly, at the exact same moment that I uh, achieved what will probably prove to be my life's work, that's the moment when I started being the real me, finally. So, uh, listen, uh, not to wax messianic, but uh, it may be true that the synchronicity of those two events might blur the resultant individual effect of either individual. But it is uh, uh, nevertheless also certainly true, I will say now, however uh, subjectively, that uh, human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown, and reformation is inherently purging. It makes a man a king. From the moment I walked out of the pot, I felt like a million bucks. You know, I think I am going to have a, a cannoli after all. Waiter! So he's, he's feeling himself real hard. That's what happens yeah. when you, you finally realize what the flesh is. I love this scene so much. I see it as like two different things. It's like you're, you're seeing the signs of him becoming more fly-like. He's got that increased stamina and, you know, whatever genetically is happening in his body. Craving sugar. He's, he's, (laughs) he eventually starts to get like a little spotty complexion where you see something's going on with him. He looked like a sausage pizza. Yes. It was very greasy with sausage. (laughs) (laughs) But so you see him becoming more fly like. So you get the like physical allusions to him becoming a fly and then you also get the dialogue which is talking about you know more of his life's work and like all that flesh and everything earlier in the movie when he you know they showed his closet and they showed all of his suits were the same he is very much in the line of like how einstein used to do he would wear the same clothes so you don't have to expend mental energy on something else. You can put all of your mental energy into what you're doing. So he clearly didn't ever take the time to acknowledge his human body. He was very, he's all up in his brain, which is something almost intangible. And he hasn't been paying attention to what his body wants or needs. And all of a sudden, he finds Ronnie and, you know, they have this relationship now. And now they're, he's understanding what it means to put your energy into something else. But then he, like, circled back and now he's putting the energy that he has found to put into 
a relationship and discovering himself, he's doing a false discovery of himself. He's going to discover what his mind is capable of, which is almost synthetic because you can't tangibly touch what is inside your brain. Well, everything you just said kind of circles back to the sugar he would use to, to get back <laughs> to a scene. In <laughs> But I agree. I, I agree with you. Like, it's this... This is one of my favorite scenes in the movie because obviously it shows a transformation, but it also shows his character in such a different light of what it could be, but it's still very much him. It's yeah. very much him still, which I actually I absolutely loved. So Seth is like, Ronnie, you should go into the machine. And so you can wake up like me and be cleansed because Seth feels amazing. He's like, I'm doing fucking push-ups. He's pure. Come into the born again telepod. <laughs> and this is where he uh, references a line from an essay on criticism, Alexander Pope. Yeah. Yes. This is my favorite thing from the entire the entire film is this this whole dialogue scene. The line that he that line that he references talks about diving deep into the plasma pool. And it's almost like diving into the unknown the all the knowledge of everything like take that dive so you can be you can see everything that you've ever wanted to see and feel everything you've ever wanted to feel you know no human should ever experience that and now he's experienced it he just wants you to be part of to know about the flesh you know it's just so great this whole scene is so great yeah he's like ronnie come on Get, go into the pot and she's like no 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 this is wrong this is wrong and he's like you don't get it you don't understand it and then he goes in the whole like dive yeah. into the plasma and the quote from the an essay on criticism is actually drink deep or taste not the plasma spring but the plasma spring was changed like the actual quote doesn't end with the plasma spring that was added for the movie it's the Pyrian spring that's it yeah yeah which is, in Greek mythology, it's a metaphorical source of knowledge. Yeah, which is fucking fantastic. Right? Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, if you guys were put into this situation, let's just say you've been dating this guy for a few months. He is teleported, and obviously he's changed. Would you teleport? No. God, no. Really? I, would need, I would need a year. Yeah, I would need time to see what would happen. Yeah. The long-term ramifications of what you've done. Yeah. What? Initially, before Seth went through, he was like, okay, the baboon went through. The next step is to go get the baboon studied for a few months to make sure that the baboon's okay. Yeah. <sighs> I need See, a, I need a proper like trial here. I need proper studies. I need proper testing and it, like a monitoring of potential I guess this symptoms. I where we, we differ because he would be like, it's your turn to go through. And he'd be like, where the fuck are you? I would be in the machine already. I'd be ready. <laughs> I'd be like, let's try this. Because, like, if I'm on the forefront of being teleported, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'll deal with the repercussions later. It's fine. But that's my impulsive personality. So <laughs> I know. Like, I'm right there, too. It's like, I, oh, man. You could probably so easily talk me into doing it. But my mm -hmm. rational mind, as I'm sitting here, not in front of a teleport machine, I'm like, no, of course not. If you get me in front of one, I'd probably be like, all right, give me a shot of Malort, and then we'll see where things oh, go. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> right? My dumbass would have left, like, a sock on or something, and I would have come out just fucking a piece of clothing, and I would have been terrible. <laughs> it's just a fucking giant terrible. sock. <laughs> yeah. You're Patrick made out of cloth. Help me. Help me. 
So see, like, I'm a Virgo. My Mercury's in Virgo. So I am just like, hang on. I am not jumping into shit. Let's assess the situation. Let's overthink the situation. (laughs) And actually, I'm not going to do anything. (laughs) So anyway, so Seth is like, whatever, you know, Gina Davis, whatever, Ronnie, you're not an Aries. You're not going to make an impulsive decision. I'm going to go find someone to be in the dynamic duo with me. So he's like walking around. (laughs) <laughs> making his way downtown. <laughs> he's walking fast and he's homebound. <laughs> and he like rolls into a bar at like, I don't know, what is it? Like four o'clock right now? What is the time? Who knows? I- <laughs> Bars are still open. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's like daylight. So he like goes into a bar. He's like sucking down a candy bar and he looks disgusting. He dove deep into that plasma spring. He yes. <laughs> so he like rolls into a bar. These guys are like arm wrestling and he's like talking to this lady like, hey, yo, hey, yo, hey, girl, come home with me. And she's like, uh-uh, I'm like going to go home with whoever wins his ar- arm wrestling. <laughs> whoever <laughs> no, wins no, no. this. No, he gives, he goes, I'll arm wrestle you for $100 and I'll take the lady home. And she's like, I'm not a fucking hooker. But she still agrees to it yeah no weirdly yeah yeah, this is like i'm sorry like what city was this in are you guys in times square right now in 1986 so he's arm wrestling this guy and you see white goo sperm kind of squeezing out of his hand and all of a sudden cronenberg style he just breaks the wrist bone is like through the skin of this guy and he just like puts his hands up like, hey, I won. Hands up. Eh, look what I did. And then grabs the lady and walks out with her. I'm like, this is gross. Seth looks gross. This is where the movie starts to get super gross. Yeah. Yes. So this, out of everything that happens, watching that wrist break was the hardest thing for me to watch. Yeah. No, there's a scene coming up where I literally have to put, like, my face in my shirt. <laughs> uh, I know what scene you're talking about. And back in the day, probably, that would that would make me cringe. But for some reason, it didn't. Can I tell you a story why this makes the... Why the wrist scene is the grossest for me? Oh, my God, please. Yes. Okay, yes. When my sister and I were younger, we both played softball. I was at one of her games, and... Playing 16-inch softball, you're not supposed to slide into bases because, you know, you don't have gloves and it's just, it's not needed. It's not as, you know, intense as like 9-inch baseball. When my sister was playing a game, some girl on the opposite team, she's, okay, first of all, you never do this in baseball, but she slid into first base and she slid hands first which is a huge no-no. And her wrist, she broke her wrist. Her wrist bone popped out of her wrist and they had to call the ambulance. Like you can see the bone out of her wrist and everything. So yeah, ambulance came, game called off. And I was like, yep, never sliding head first. (laughs) That is terrifying. So he's bringing this lady back to his apartment and we see her on the chair, on like a chair. Seth goes through the teleport, the telepod for a second time. Why did he do that? Why did he go through a second time? Because it's like the old club trick of the two cabinets. (laughs) I, mm, 
I like what effect does that have on his fly transformation? I it, nothing. I think he's trying to find someone to go through the machine like he did because he believes going through the machine will enlighten you and purify you. I saw it as just because of how he was progressing and how manic and, you know, like, oh, my God, like, I'm so much better because of this. You need to become so much better. I saw it more as almost like a drug for him. Like, yeah, he mm. he became addicted to this feeling of look what I found. Look how amazing I become and how much better I feel. I've been I have tapped into what my body is capable of. Let me do it again. Let me bring somebody with me on this journey. I, I saw it as a very selfish act. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, because I always viewed it as like, let me show you what this is capable of and then like to entice you to go through. But the idea of it being selfish is more probable to me. Yeah, point. because yeah. I mean, he could have done. He could have chosen anything. He could have done. The, he could have done the same thing that he did with Ronnie. Mm. Give me something personal. Let me show you that this is not a a magic trick. Let me do something that you can have some more tangible evidence of. Versus with her, she's like naked, you know, just hanging out there, and <laughs> she's literally like, just like, yeah. "Hey, yeah, I'm, right? <laughs> I'm open here with with her denim jacket, right?" <laughs> yes. Um, and, oh God, the '80s underwear that I will not get into. But anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, I I saw it as very. It was very different than what he did with Ronnie. This is a you don't matter to me. You are here for me. You are here to placate what I am looking for. That's probably the perfect way to describe that scene. Yeah. So he goes through again. They have sex. And then Seth demands her to go through and he's pulling her to go in and she's like, no, I'm afraid. And we see Ronnie's there and Ronnie's like, no, be afraid. Be very afraid. I, li- I like this little scene right here with Ronnie and him and Denim Naked Girl because it, it kind of like solidifies the fact of his craziness of how crazy he's been acting. Mm hmm. Yeah, he is full full on manic at this point. Yeah. Yes. Like you you could see he's just he's not thinking clearly. He's very just thinking impulsively. Yeah. Which is how I think. <laughs> so Ronnie tells Seth he looks and smells bad and she got the hair on him analyzed and it came back most likely as insect hair. Seth is mad AF that Ronnie is telling him that something's wrong because he's like, I feel great. You don't know this. You don't know me. Get out of here. And she's like, you look like shit. Take a look in the mirror. So he kicks Ronnie out and he's like, okay, let me go look in the mirror. And then he's finally noticing how shitty he looks. He's got insect hair growing all over. He's slowly taking his fingernails off and this whole fingernail scene barf i literally was like (laughs) i like i like this though because it it comes back to the idea of like first off if anyone said they found they took my hair and they found insect hair i'd be devastated fucking devastated because i hate cockroaches i hate mosquitoes and insect hair ugh but this idea of like him pulling off his nails and like, I don't need this anymore. I'm becoming something 
that I, do, I don't know what I'm becoming, but I'm becoming something more that I don't need my fingernails adds on to the whole, the complete transformation at the end of the movie. Yeah. It, it, it is just perfect. And it, like it, the scene actually didn't bother me too much besides the white pus squirting oh. out on the mirror. Oh, yes. Yeah, the squirting. (laughs) But this is such a great metaphor for like disease and aging and what happens to you. Like when you don't know what's going on inside your body and you only see the outer of the symptoms of what's going on, like what happens, like outer ramifications of what's going on inside. That's really scary. And that's something that mostly everybody is going to experience. People who get to live to their 80s, 90s, 100s, they see their body breaking down like this. They see just deterioration. And it's scary because that is something that eventually the majority of population is going to face. You know what's funny? I have never been scared of getting old. Never. It wasn't until like sometime last year that it terrifies me now. It absolutely (laughs) terrifies me to get older every year. And I hate it. I hate it so much. (laughs) And it's also a good parallel for your mind and body too because his scientific brain is like you said, Patrick, ascending to this place where it's like, I don't need this part of my body. My body is on a different path than my brain is. Like I am going, I'm transforming and we're just on different paths. Eventually we're going to, you know, come together, but it's your mind and your body are not always as connected as you want them to be. And that's terrifying. Yep. Before my grandfather passed away, he would tell me that his mind is acting as a 30-year-old, but his body is the age that he is, and he yeah. hates it. He's like, I wish I could communicate and like talk to you what I'm thinking, but sometimes I just can't. And I was like, whoa, that scares, yeah, that scares that's me so scary. much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like my, my grandmother, she had dementia before she died, and she was like, a saint. She was the sweetest person I have ever met in my life. Like I've met people who are like as sweet as her and they're like in like this amazing category that people just can't touch. And then when she got this disease, she was not the same person. It was so heartbreaking to see and that her that your mind can just be somewhere else where your body yep. isn't and it's it's just you can't you don't always have control over having them connected. Yeah, I, it it is terrifying. It scares me. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's absolutely terrifying. And what we eventually see with Seth is that you know in the beginning during this transformation when he sees you know when he's looking at his fingernails and he's just pulling them off you know he he kind of thinks that he's dying like he he has a disease it refers to it as a disease as if it's like a cancer or something one point i forget when he's like is this what dying is like i mean in the scene we're talking to right now he literally just goes am i dying am i dying i 
you know you know what i mean like he's already mm-hmm. thinking it yeah he throws his razor into the bathtub and he's like what the fuck's happening am i dying what what is this this is one thing that's great about the movie is that it's like visually gross like every single scene moving forward i'm literally like want to vomit but the whole subplot of aging and how terrifying that is and the disconnect you have from being who you are like i have a friend whose mom is has alzheimer's and it's like she's my mom but she's not my mom at the same time and that is mm-hmm. heartbreaking and terrifying at the same time like heartbreaking to be someone on the outside but also Im- like imagine being that person going through it where you're like I don't know who I am. I don't remember anything, but you have a self-identity and being completely disconnected from that. That is straight up horror. Yeah. You know what sucks though? It's like very rarely do you meet old people. And when I say old people, I mean like 78 or older, the 80 range and older, like that they're still coherent and actively moving. A lot of times it's either your body betrays you or your mind betrays you. It's never both it's always one or the other or none i've only met a handful of old people that have not been betrayed by their mind or their body at that age yeah right yeah so seth goes back to his computer to be like what the fuck is happening to me he types it in with his index fingers and finds out and gloves and gloves and gloves because he's like my fingers are like sperm pus like what's happening and Seth <laughs> finds out that he has been spliced together with a fly. Quote, unquote, fusion of Brundle and fly at molecular genetic level. This is one of my favorite parts of the movie because I love the animation of. Here's the fly. <laughs> it's so good. I know. Yeah. And Seth figures out there was a fly in the telepod. His DNA has been sliced. The computer was like, I don't know what to do with this, so I'm going to make you guys one person. Congratulations. You're now Brundlefly. I fucking love Brundlefly. Me love too. Love it. Me too. <laughs> so four weeks go by, and Seth tells Ronnie, holy shit, you are right. You got to come see me. I think I'm dying. Let's let's have a chit-chat. So Ronnie goes to Seth's apartment. There's trash all over. There's donut boxes and soda. And Seth is becoming more more fly-like. He's got white goop on him. His face is like really messed up. He needs canes to walk. And he throws up on his food now to eat it. Actually, I I, I find it funny that he's just holding it. And he just like opens his mouth and it just falls out. He's like... Yeah, I mean, he's like chatting with Ronnie and he grabs like a donut and then he's like, oh, oh, my God, I really he just realized like that's disgusting. I shouldn't have done that. So he still has like his human side to him. But physically, yeah, he's socially aware. Yeah. 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 So he like tells Ronnie like, oh, my God, there is a fly and it just gene spliced us together. And in the next scene, we have Ronnie chatting with Stathis. And Stathis is comparing Brundlefly to Typhoid Mary and suggesting that she stay away from him because he's like, is it contagious? Can you get it? Who is Typhoid Mary? Oh, my God. Patrick, you don't know Typhoid Mary? Oh, I was born baby. in 91. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm- well, go 
Go Google I'm it. Just an so, old ty- man. <laughs> so go Google it. I'm not going to get into Typhoid Mary right now. Google it. Whatever. But then Stathis also suggests for Ronnie to record Brundlefly so he can see it. Hashtag journalists. They're like, oh my God, stay away. But holy shit, let's record this and capture it and talk about it. <laughs> There's a terrible, terrible war going on, but let's get in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People need to know. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I could see why people would relate this fly transformation to HIV that, you know, turns into AIDS because people were like, they didn't understand it and they didn't right. know how they yeah. could catch it. So they were like, just stay away. Maybe, maybe that person's contagious. I don't know what's going on. And, you know, not until the following scene, Seth, you know, and Ronnie don't know what's happening because Seth is like, am I contagious? Is this cancer? What's happening? Seth is still like, Ronnie, you should stay away from me. I love the switch of his mentality at this point of, yeah, you need to be part of the flesh. You need to dive deep into this plasma pool to don't come near me. I don't know what this is. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Like, like remorseful. And I love that. Just like that instant switch because he is still like, it still shows that he is the human side of him is still in there. Like, right. He's not 100% fly. Yeah, that duality of like your body is betraying you. You don't know what's going on, but your mind is still there and it's making those important cognizant decisions. Yep. Yep. So Ronnie is back at Seth's and we see that super sweet scene of Brundlefly crawling around the ceiling and walls. Production wise, they made a circular set. When I was like watching interviews about this because the only other time i've seen like a circular set used in this fashion was inception and when inception came out they were saying that it's like so crazy that they're doing this this is like filmmaking's gone beyond i'm like i see this i'm like the fuck they're doing this in 86 you made this seem like it was the biggest deal ever but or yeah a nightmare on elm street well wasn't nightmare on elm street just an upside down set no it was it was circular and they rotated it yeah I was like, this is fucking dope as hell. Jeff is covered in KY jelly sliding down the walls of this set, and it's fucking dope. Yeah, it was amazing how they did this. Cronenberg comments in an interview that the gyroscope of the camera and how they had to constantly adjust it to go along with it. I was like, this was so good. It was so well done. Like, I believed he could crawl on the ceiling. Like, it was practical effects. Without there was no CGI, they literally glued every single piece of garbage. In the eighties and nineties, practical effects were used more because computer and like animating and CGI was too expensive and didn't look that good. Now CGI is cheap and looks good that they don't use practical effects, and I, I fucking hate it. I fucking I hate it so much. So can we have just <laughs> the melding of the two? <laughs> yeah. And, like, another thing is, I I hate quite a bit, is, like, this movie costs $15 million to make, roughly, but between 11 and 15, the numbers are, go plus or minus on that. But yet, if you were to take this movie and try to make it today, it would probably have to cost them, I don't know, $70 million, and it's like, why? Why? Exactly, why? They were doing this in the 80s. For 15 to 11 million, which, you know, with, yep. I guess, inflation and everything is probably like 30 million 
maybe 20, 25, 22 Yeah, million. but it's still not going to be anywhere near what no, the budget no. would be. I just hate how we've gotten to this point in film where, like, obviously there's just some great indie films and some great low-budget films. I'm not knocking those, but any mainstream movie has to be, like, 50 million and more and it's so frustrating yeah. Yeah. and then the movies that are like super good like i don't know knives out or this like majority of their budget didn't go to production and went to pay the fucking actors which yes. is so atrocious and just so wrong like i get it you bring people in to see the movie but it's just it's so frustrating so annoying <laughs> that's my rant on that <laughs> yeah so, Brundlefly is officially here. He reveals the purpose of the quote-unquote disease and is to turn him into something else. And he says, most people would give anything to be something else. I would not give anything to be a fly or a bug. No, no. But this is the first time you see, like, a lot of prosthetics on Jeff Goldblum. To get him into that costume took seven hours every morning to be in that costume and it weighted him down and he did such a good job with his movements of like kind of constricting himself and like keeping his eyes open props jeff goldblum props yeah yes patrick what you just said constricting himself Mm -hmm. when it comes later the final metamorphosis of him becoming brundlefly it's like that is that's the perfect word for it and the next scene we find out She's pregnant with Seth's baby. She has a super messed up dream of giving birth to a larva. I have to ask, and I can only ask you, Holly, because you're the only one who's given birth here. (laughs) Say that happened to you. I mean, what would your reaction be to this? (laughs) Because, like, it is somewhat of a child, right? Like, do you love it or do you just, like, burn the atrocity? I oh God, I don't. That's a you love Brundle. That that is a that's hard a hard question. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, I understand what she was going through. Like when she's freaking out and she's like, based on what this could be. Like, I mean, we don't know. Nobody knows. This pregnancy could have happened before that. After that, we don't know. Being pregnant, there's always a fear of. You know, what if something is wrong wrong that's going to make my child's life harder and or make my child sick or something that it's scary. I mean, there are I mean, there are tests you can do for stuff like that, but that also comes with risk. So you have to weigh risks constantly when you are pregnant (sighs) And I absolutely understand her fear of just like, I, I can't handle this. I don't know what's going on. Even wanting to be pregnant, it's still, you still have that knowledge that what is inside of me, what's growing, even the thing that I want growing inside of me, it's still a parasite. It's very parasite-like. Like, you are, it's taking everything from you. It's taking energy. It's taking emotion. It's taking your food. It's it's very much like having a parasite. And it's scary. And to be, to have this extra fear of 
I mean, what if my child's a giant fly? <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's horrifying. I don't know what I would do because I mean, there's if I personally, if I ever found out, you know, your baby has a chance to have like this disease or has a genetic defect or something, I personally have already made that decision. I will still carry a baby to term and, you know, just I will that will be my child. That's how my child that that's who my child is. So I have already made that decision. But to think like my my child is going to be something that science might not be able to help or, you know, like help grow and, you know, thrive. That's horrifying. And I I don't know what I would do. I'd see it. So it's funny. Uh, you just said that you would go full term with it, you know, if it had anything wrong or like that mm-hmm. with it. Uh, Katina and I had this conversation and my whole thought process would be I would love for her to talk to me about it. But at the end of the day, whatever she decided, I would go with because I'm not going to have that kind of connection with the mm-hmm. baby that she's having because, you know, it is growing inside of yes. you. And if it is, if it, there's a chance it could come out with this and you don't want to take it, like, I'm going to be upset, but we'll move forward. But if you want to, like, yeah, let's move forward with that, too. So I would leave it up to her. It might sound very cliche, but a lot of people who have carried children, it's true that, like, once you feel that connection, like, there, that you... I don't know. It happens at different times with people, but once you feel that connection to whatever is growing inside you, it's like, all right, like I've, and you've made that decision, like nothing is gonna, nothing's gonna change your mind. It's, it's a very indescribable bond that you have. And whether it be, uh, you know, a full, healthy, full term baby or a fly butterfly (laughs) larva like you you have a connection and it's hard to say like i'm going to decide to sever that connection that's hard so i I always felt in this movie uh the dream didn't cause her to have the abortion it definitely helped but it wasn't until right before she goes to get the abortion she goes and talks to seth and Seth says to her, you can't trust me because I'm more insect now than ever. And we cannot trust the insect. Yeah, You cannot trust the insect. And I think that is what was the pushing point for her to get the abortion. Yes. yes. And that is another parallel, a good parallel to disease. Because you can have a child who has like, you know, whatever kind of genetic disease or like any kind of deformation mm-hmm. in like their internal organs or whatever, and know that that is probably going to work against them at some point. And you're going to have to go through seeing that just betray them, betray their spirit, betray their body. And it's that's hard. That is hard. How's this making me more? depressed (laughs) talk about this like so in the next scene we see seth is figuring out a way to fix himself by splicing himself with one or more pure human subjects 
We then see he's his teeth fall out. He adds it to the museum. <laughs> oh my god! And he puts them in his medicine cabinet, Brundle Museum of Natural History. I mean, more barf. I have, I lose my appetite every time I watch this movie. I'm just puking into my shirt. Skatina says the same thing, and I don't know. I I, I didn't find this movie that disgusting compared to like Tetsuo. This is way more gross than Tetsuo. So Ronnie goes back to see Seth. The lighting on the scene on Gina Davis is magnificent. She's crying and looking terrible, but Mm -hmm. the lighting on her makes her look so like, they just make her look very good in the scene. Gina Davis really shines as the lover who's torn on the inside about what's happening Mm -hmm. to her lover. And seeing this terrible transformation and wanting to help and wanting to be there, but also she can't do anything and she doesn't know what to do to help him. So she's helpless and just seeing him die. So Ronnie goes back to see Seth. He's like almost complete fly at this point. And he says he's going to get into insect politics because you can't trust the insect. I loved, I love this. <laughs> I love this so much. This whole dialogue scene. I came to tell you. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I wanted to see you before. You have to leave now. And never come back here. Have you ever heard of insect politics? Neither have I. Insects don't have politics. They're very brutal. No compassion, no compromise. We can't trust the insect. I'd like to become the first insect politician. You see, I'd like to, uh, but, oh, I'm afraid. um, I don't know what you're trying to say. I'm saying. Saying I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it, but now the dream is over and the insect is awake. No, sir. And he's indirectly trying to tell Ronnie that he's going to hurt her if she stays. Ronnie leaves, and that's when she's like, "I need an abortion asap. Get this. Get this potential." situation out of my body and ronnie goes to state state this state well brundlefly is watching this yeah. which is like a tim and eric fucking scene of him watching this he's like ah, ah. <laughs> it's so fucking <laughs> weird it was the weird it was so out of place yeah. <laughs> so they go to like see a doctor 
And the doctor's like, are you sure we can do tests? And, you know, she's like, oh, no, 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 get it out. I need it now. No, 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 no. Get it out of me. <laughs> She's like literally coat hanger in hand. Like, if you don't do it, I'm going to do it. Right. No, 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 yeah. no. She was ready. So the doctor's like, okay, fine. Let me like unbutton my vest and my tie and let's do this. Also, like in the 80s, did hospitals all have that fucking bathroom <laughs> type of glass in there where <laughs> it's like those weird thick Like the cute- shower glass? Yeah, like... Yeah. Where it's supposed to hide everything, but it just kind of I remember that enhances. in doctor's offices of like the 80s, like in TV shows, that was a thing. It's huh. definitely a thing. Okay. Yeah. So Ronnie's sitting in the like exam room and Brundlefly breaks through this like thick glass and he's like, don't kill the baby. I'm going to like hold you like Cinderella and take you back to my lab. And she's like, oh, no don't oh my goodness i mean she could have she could have like gotten out of his grip but she was like oh my god no what are you doing so this scene this scene i i actually really like because when he kidnaps her and takes her back to the roof he was like oh don't kill little brundle what's left of me yeah and she's like well Mm -hmm. i don't I, i have to i don't know what this is and he just goes oh that's a shame and right there you know it's not brundle it's the insect at this point it's he's only yeah. caring for himself survival of the fittest it's not him anymore insect politics they're out for themselves yeah. yep oh this was a uh, on the blu-ray i have there was a cool behind the scenes of this scene they were showing the stunt performers doing it and like having his same makeup and like fly suit on and everything and jumping through the window and then when it was Jeff Goldblum's turn to take over and do it, he would just like be standing there like with the window already broken and like do a little like jump and pick oh, her yeah. up and like jump out the window. It was really cool to see. It was cool to see the like how an action scene is made. It was yeah, so if anybody wants to get the DVD and like watch behind the scenes, the making of like all the special effects stuff that they do, it's really cool. And you can find a lot of it on YouTube as well. That's where I watch a lot of it. Uh, I'm sure there's more on the DVD than what mm-hmm. is actually on YouTube. But go watch behind the scenes stuff on this movie. It is, there's some really cool, really yeah. cool shit. So Brundle Fly brings Ronnie back to his lab because he sees the baby as the only thing left of him and a possible pure human subject to fix him. So Stathis goes to save Ronnie and brings a shotgun. An elephant shotgun. That shit was like huge. (laughs) Yeah, he like brought it just like in a case. And we see him open his case with all his like shotgun accessories and like Mm -hmm. cleaning supplies. I had read that in the original script, he was supposed to have been going skeet shooting. So that's why he had all of that stuff with him and why it was like all like nice and set up and like all the fancy stuff you know what's funny you know why i thought he had that it's just because he's a he's a prick and probably like to kill animals Uh, yeah i mean same (laughs) but this this script explanation makes no sense (laughs) but i totally i totally felt that too 
So naturally, Brundlefly thwarts his efforts and throws up on his hand and foot, melting both away. That would be which was gross, extremely painful. <laughs> Ronnie is like on the roof or something, and Seth is like, "Help me be human by going into the pod. We can be the ultimate family of three, but in one body." Okay, I want to know why he wanted to take. Ronnie and the baby when he could have just taken Stathis and put him in there and just like fused with him and just become back human. Maybe he wouldn't look the same, but he would have had his child and baby to go back to. But he wants to fuse with his lover and his baby. It's not the insect in him deciding this. Like it was very I was like, why why? But okay. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. I think you know, the insect took over and his sense of rationale disappeared. Because yeah. it's not it's not like he would be fused in the baby and then, you know, be birthed as a baby or he'd be fused with both of them and then just like come out like half woman, half baby, half man. Like, why did you just put Stathis in there and just try that? I, I, I don't know. It was very I don't understand <laughs> anything about that scene, but OK. <laughs> it's like a bastardization of what a lot of people look for like the family unit but just deforming it in a way. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's a perversion of yeah. intimacy. Yes. So Seth forces Ronnie into the pod and he's like trying to get her to the pod and she pulls his jaw off and we see the final transformation where Seth is completely the fly. His Face falls off. His skin falls off. I loved all the makeup in the scene. Me too. I love the fact that like he was the fly well before this. Yeah, and that this yes. was just a shell. This yes. is literally oh just God. a shell that he hasn't quite broken through. This is yes. Watching the behind the scenes and the makeup of this scene is so fucking amazing. Funny because when they're like actually trying to pull it off, like the whole jaw ripping off scene, like it can't quite come off the way they wanted to. So you could see like Gina Davis, like she's like giggling and laughing and then she like goes back into acting and it's really cute. But the way that they did this, they wanted to have his final form in a human head, which is difficult to pull off because his like fly form is like it's wider than his head. It's it's bigger. So you have this idea of something bigger inside this shell that's trying to break out. And the way that they did it, they used like springs in the face and they had somebody like enact those springs. So it like pushed everything out. And it was it's so amazing to watch the way that they did this. The puppeteers that they had going with his arms and everything. It's so intricate and beautiful. And I was i was in awe watching this. And I hate, I hate that at one point in cinema that that just became obsolete, like old right? technology. I know. like I, It may not look super, like sometimes it does look super realistic, but maybe it doesn't have quite the realistic, but like. Right. It looks, I prefer sometimes that over it looks CGI. mechanical. Yeah. Yes. What makes it look more realistic in CGI also makes it look fake. 
I don't know how exactly to describe it, but you can see the clear line. Oh, I can't. I can describe oh, it for t- you. Do tell. <laughs> perfectly. But first, I have to connect this movie to another director that we love so dearly to bring this whole thing up. So, Howard Shore did the music of this movie, which is a phenomenal soundtrack, which Howard Shore also did on the music for The Lord of the Rings, which takes us back right to Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson! (laughs) Peter Jackson used to do practical effects until he got into, he started, helped start Weta Studios and just loves CGI. And like, sometimes it's great, but CGI has an issue with frame rates. The higher the frame rate, the more you're going to tell it's CGI. Sometimes the motion blur is not quite there, and it just you can just tell it looks wrong. That's where a lot of new movies are going to, as the frame rates change and become higher and higher. Like We can easily tell and point out CGI and bad CGI. And that's a huge issue, because like, when you have a practical effect, no matter the frame rate or anything else, practical effect it's it's a real effect you're gonna it's gonna look somewhat real or it's not gonna look real at all but cgi it's just like we hit this point where it's like our frame rates and our how we composite cgi just don't match and it just looks so fucking terrible great example is the hobbit peter jackson's the hobbit he filmed it in 48 frames a second and it looks like trash (laughs) i'm just gonna point it out there sorry peter Yeah, that's very interesting because just thinking about, I mean, going on this topic of like, you know, how life is unpredictable and you just, you cannot tell what's going to happen in life, um, like to your body and whatnot, like practical effects, things happen that you don't want. Some things are happy accidents, as Mm -hmm. Bob Ross would say, and um you know, that's that's what life is. I mean, life is very like, oh, this shouldn't be happening this way, but it's happening to me this way. That's another layer as to why practical effects work, because they can be unpredictable just as life can be un- unpredictable. You know what else is unpredictable? <sighs> David Cronenberg owed money to Andy Warhol, who was friends with Kenneth Anger, who is also part of Aleister Crowley's <laughs> A cult who Aleister Crowley was somehow related to Barbara Bush, who Barbara Bush is also <laughs> the mother of who? George W. Bush, who brought upon 9-11. It's all connected. It is all connected. <laughs> Bringing it together. Crack of the code. Bringing it home. <laughs> it's all unpredictable and chaos magic reigns. Back to the fly. So the fly puts Ronnie in a telepod. And he goes into a telepod. But then right before the computer is able to merge, Stathis takes his good hand and shoots the power cable to Ronnie's machine, ultimately saving her, taking her pod offline. The fly gets pissed and smashes the door, but the computer is still going through the sequence and merges Brundlefly and part of the metal door from the telepod together. Becoming Brundlefly metal door. <laughs> yeah, Brundlefly yes. door. Brundlefly door? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. I think that Becoming works. Becoming Brundlefly door. Stathis gets Ronnie out of the pod, and Brundlefly door crawls out of that pod. The prototype pod. The prototype, yeah. And Ronnie has the gun in her hand as Brundlefly door is crawling out. 
He grabs the gun and puts it to his head. And Ronnie's like, no, but she shoots him and kills him. End scene. Yeah, the, the movie just Aww. ends. Which is great. Uh, just Brundle roll Fly. credits. Brundle Fly's little blinky eyes are so fucking sad. <laughs> That's where his full character arc comes. It's a full 360. It's like, I'm a good person. I become a bad person. I transform to something or not. But at the end, I come back to what I was. Feel yeah. sorry for me. But in the end, like, none of this would have happened if he just didn't get in the fucking machine. <laughs> he, I mean, he had, like, one glass of champagne, and he was like, oh, I'm drunk. I'm going to get in this machine. Come yeah. on. Yeah. So sad. You know though. he wanted to get in that machine. He didn't have to be drunk. <laughs> I know there's nothing after this, but I really hope that Ronnie doesn't get back. What's his face? State this. Mr. One Hand, One Foot? Yeah. I really hope she just le- leaves him, but, you know, you know they're going to stay together. That's a traumatic experience. It is, but I can't imagine that they stay together. I'm sure she's just like, I need the, I need to get the F out of everything. I need to not be involved in any memories of the situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she she had sex with a giant fly. I mean, that's pretty tra- traumatizing. Yeah. Let's 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 rate this movie. Let's rate this on. Uh... Wait, 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 wait. One of our loyal friends. Yes, fans. one of our loyal <laughs> friends has a comment on this movie. Uh, Sessie, who we can call Sessie Fly. Hey, Sessie Fly. She says, I loved how nerdy Jeff Goldblum was with the whole gene splicing and teleportation. Growing up for some spooky reason, she liked watching him turn into a fly. His bathroom museum with all his decomposing body parts was always so fascinating. She also loved his love story with Gina Davis and how... She saw his fear and still loved his ugly ass. Even when he went full fly on her with his bugged out eyes and fly arms and legs. Ew. Yeah, I I had a couple outside comments too. So my friend Eric said that he saw this when he was like about nine years old. Yeah, that's about the same time I saw that. Yeah, has has not seen it since because it has grossed him out so much. And he specifically remembers um, Brenda Fly puking on <laughs> the guy's hand and it being so gross that he l- had to look away. But in that way, that's like, I have to look away, but I want to watch it. Yeah. Now, as an adult, he still remembers it and is like, oh, my God, those practical effects were so much more visceral than what he gets from CGI now. Yeah. And and then Alan, he had one of those practical questions, like, why did Brundle choose a baboon instead of, like, a rat? Yeah. Like, why, um, why did he start small? He chose a baboon, but wouldn't a chimpanzee be more close to <laughs> our genetic that is true. makeup than a baboon? Or maybe it's just yeah. it doesn't matter? I know at one point in the original script, they had him send a cat, and the cat never reappears. And then they send a monkey, oh. and the cat and the monkey fuse together, creating a cat monkey that he, oh. that he beats to death. Oh! But they took it out of the final film because they thought 
it took away from Seth's character of being like this kind of like nice guy and made him more grimy and evil. And so oh, they took man. it out. I would I would really have to think on that, but I would love to see that. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't like you own the DVD. I don't know why they didn't include it in the extra scenes because that scene was shown in Toronto at a um, pre-screening. So it there is a cut of the movie with that in it, which I would love to see. Absolutely love to see. Me too. All right, Patrick, what are we rating this movie on? So we're rating this on spoonfuls of sugar. Holly, take it away. I'm going to give this four spoonfuls of sugar. I have enjoyed this movie for many, many years. In and of itself, it's a great science fiction story. I love stuff that involves like some kind of transformation, teleport, just like a, a mishmash of like messing with your body and stuff like that. Cronenberg gives it all to you in here. And the story and the dialogue matches the grossness. And I, I as a gore hound, I love how gross this is. But it's really the story and the metaphors that draw me back to it and make me want to watch it again and I'm I'm glad I we did it for this because I was labeled I, I was able to dig a little deeper into this and find find some parallels that I haven't really connected to like in my mind kind of floating around but I haven't really sat down and connected them so this for me was a lot of fun when you get past the storyline and the gross and the fact that it's, you know, like a gross horror movie, it this is a very universal story. This is a good story. This is something that almost everybody can relate to in some form. The acting is amazing. And if nobody has seen it, if or or if you haven't seen the original, go watch the original too, because it's as different as it is, it still has a great tie-in to this one, and you can get different things from both. They're still relevant. Um, they're both still good stories, good effects. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a four and recommend people to go go see this. Go watch interviews. Go watch the behind the scenes, cause just this whole production. It was it was a great ride. Uh, like seeing everything behind the scenes was a lot of fun. Seeing everybody have their fun with it was was great. Steph? I'm going to give this three and a half spoonfuls of sugar. This movie is super gross. It's absolutely terrifying. I was grossed out by it. Some of the character development is lacking. I don't have an emotional connection to the characters as much as I feel like I should. But you still feel the horror of this disease growing old, whatever you want to connect it to, and it's absolutely terrifying. This movie is straight up scary. I literally want to puke every time. So it gets three stars for a horror movie and a half star for the story. Some of the writing is dumb, but... A lot of the writing is so good. Like a lot of Jeff Goldblum's monologues are so good. 
he does a great job at the fly. Gina Davis does a great job at being horrified, but being in love with the fly at the same time. But there's the first half of like their love story. It's very weak. So three and a half stars. If you're not afraid to dive in that plasma pool, watch this movie. I forgot how much I enjoy and love this movie. It gets straight to the point. Yeah, there is a some weak character development and there's some weak story plots and some things that do frustrate me about this movie. But overall, it is a story, like you said, Holly, a universal story that we've heard over and over again, but with a, such a unique take and such a great like twist on it. It is just enjoyable to watch. Now, there are some gross things, um, like you said, Steph, but I don't think you you should not watch this movie because of those. Maybe just close your eyes during those parts because this is an enjoyable film. Maybe it is some people think it's a little deeper than they should, but overall, this is a great movie. And I'm going to give it four spoonfuls of sugar. Don't fear the flesh. Just, just embrace should, it. Everybody should totally watch this. Yeah. Do a deep dive into that plasma pool. Just yes. do it. Just dive in. That's that's it for the fly. I don't. Th- I think we've beaten the fly to death at this point. Talking <laughs> about it. That's our episode on the fly. You know, if you haven't subscribed, subscribe now. Rate us. You know, everything helps. Please check out our Facebook group and page Beyond the Screams. Follow us on Instagram at beyond underscore the underscore screams underscore podcast. And we are also on Twitter. Thanks for listening. No, not you. You're too chicken shit to be a member of the Dynamic Duo Club. Okay, then great. I'll find somebody else. Somebody who can keep up with me. Seth, you have to listen to me. You're afraid to dive into the plasma pool, aren't you? You're afraid to be destroyed, recreated, aren't you? I bet you think that you woke me up about the flesh, don't you? But you only know society's straight line about the flesh. You can't penetrate beyond society's sick, gray fear of the flesh. Drink deep or taste not the plasma spring. See what I'm saying? No, I'm just talking about sex and penetration. I'm talking about penetration beyond the veil of the flesh. A deep, penetrating dive into the plasma pool. 